Good morning. I'm Leslie Thatcher. 806 on this Wednesday, February 7th. 32 degrees and good snowfall coming down here in Old Town Park City. Currently 32 degrees in the Heber Valley. On the phone with us from the ABC Forecast Center, meteorologist Thomas Geboy. Good morning. Morning, Leslie. Happy Wednesday to you. We're halfway through the weekend. That snow is coming down pretty good in the Wasatch back. Actually looking at the Park Avenue and Kearns Boulevard camera as we speak. And those roads just are getting snowier and snowier as we've gone through the last hour or so. So anybody getting ready to hit the road, definitely a good idea to build in some extra time. And we're going to be looking at a good chance of snow showers continuing through the day as our storm system that's been funneling in the moisture the last couple of days just slowly works its way through. So while it's likely not going to snow all day in Park City, we'll likely see rounds of snow. So at really at any point today, if you have any plans to get out, to be out on the roadways, just make sure that you're factoring in some extra time. I think the temperature in Park City will stay relatively consistent. We're around freezing right now and we'll likely get into maybe the low and mid 30s during the course of the afternoon, topping out around 34, 35 degrees. So staying steady, most likely going to stay snow. Whereas as we go through the day, we could see some accumulations in Park City. While down in Heber, we could see times of rain and snow as that temperature this afternoon will sneak into the upper 30s. By tonight, we're still going to be looking at a good chance of snow showers. There have been some forecast models that indicated that we could see a little bit of a break during the overnight, but that's by no means a guarantee. So we'll still stick with a 70% chance of snow during the overnight. And with that overnight low falling to 22 degrees, anything that falls will stick, and we could see at least a couple of inches tonight. Then for our Thursday and Friday, our unsettled weather sticks around. So as this storm system that we're dealing with today moves through, we have another one coming in from the northwest, and that's going to help drag in even cooler and more seasonal air, resulting in an 80% chance of snow continuing through Thursday, a 70% chance on Friday, and we'll be looking at a temperature dropping to the upper teens on Thursday night. And then for Saturday, the chance of snow should gradually wind down as we go through the day with a daytime high only topping out at 28 degrees after starting the day at 14. Then Saturday and Sunday, Saturday night into Sunday will be, I would say, typical of what we see this time of year in Park City, dropping to 11 degrees on Saturday night and topping out at 30 degrees on Sunday afternoon. But by Sunday afternoon, we should be looking at mostly sunny skies throughout the Wasatch back and then through early next week. We should see either mostly sunny to partly cloudy skies for both Monday and Tuesday, maybe a little bit more cloud coverage on Monday. Temperatures returning to the mid-30s, which for this time of year, not too far away from our average with overnight lows mainly in the teens. But the fact is that as we go through the next 72 hours we got more snow on the way for us leslie okay we'll take it thank you thomas you're welcome and with a look in the backcountry on the phone with us from the utah avalanche center i have trent good morning trent hey good morning leslie um i'll try to summarize the best i can since it's pretty complicated out there right now um yesterday in terms of avalanches um there was a, a a avalanche that caught my eye up in upper little cottonwood canyon this was on sugarloaf peak and the thing that's interesting is it represents a backcountry snowpack meaning like you know people haven't been riding or turning in that terrain as it's just adjacent to alta ski area but two patrollers were heading out on their morning routes got the slope to collapse the avalanche was about two feet deep 300 feet wide and it's failing on that weak faceted snow we've been talking about Uh, Two people were also caught and carried in a much smaller avalanche. It was about, uh, one of them was uh, in White Pine Canyon. Uh, This avalanche was about three feet deep, 50 feet wide. It did have faceted snows the week later. Um, The other one was on Patsy Marley, seemed to be a new snow avalanche. So just, you know, an avalanche uh, contained to the new snow. It was about 18 inches deep. Luckily, both people were not injured. So, you know, a couple of close calls there but uh, with good outcomes. Um, 
And really, uh, we have three avalanche problems that we're going to want to watch out for today. The first one's just the wind drifted snow. It's literally been 60 hours of south winds blowing. It'll either blow southeast, south, or southwest. And the winds are blowing 10 to 25 miles per hour with gusts into the 20s and 30s. And that's really the perfect speeds to drift snow onto lee slopes, meaning it grabs snow from one side and dumps it on the other side. These winds combined with feet of dense and heavy snow have created monster soft and hard slabs of wind drifted snow in the starting zones. These avalanches will not be small. And if you're caught in this this avalanche, you will instantly feel like you're strapped to the front of a speeding train and all it'll take is one tree and you're done. It's lights out. So, and if you trigger one of these avalanches, it's possible it can step down into deeper, weaker layers, creating a much more dangerous avalanche. So yeah, no real good news there. Um, you know, it's just, like I said, it's uh, pr pretty dangerous out there. Our second avalanche problem is new snow, and that's going to be just we keep getting more and more snow throughout the mountains, as you just heard with uh, Thomas in the weather report. As that new snow stacks up, we're still expecting these avalanches can fail just within our new snow. And then finally, our persistent weak layer problem. We've sort of been beating a dead horse with this thing, but, you know, uh, we have a thick slab on top of very weak snow that's creating an unstable base. And, you know, once you add strong winds and heavy snowfall to this, the likelihood and the danger uh, increases on triggering an avalanche like this. So in summary, for our mountains here in the Ogden, Salt Lake, and Provo area, the avalanche danger is considerable across all mid and upper elevation slopes. So that's any slope above 8,000 feet. And really, it's pick your poison out there as we have several avalanche problems. We have hard and soft slabs of wind-drifted snow. We have soft slabs of new snow. Or you could trigger an avalanche that fails on a buried persistent weak layer. And like I said at first, it's complicated and it's very dangerous. In any case, whatever avalanche you trigger is likely to be a few hundred feet wide and could be three to six feet deep. And I just want to quickly mention that we have an avalanche warning for the mountains of southwest Utah. This includes, you know, areas around Bryan Head, the Tushar Range, uh, mountains outside of uh, St. George, Kolob Canyon, you know, and also I think in Moab this morning we have a high avalanche danger as well. And just a heads up down there, we're getting heavy snowfall, strong winds on top of very weak snow, and it's creating dangerous avalanche conditions. So kind of statewide, it's fairly, fairly dangerous. Yeah. So Trent, that photo that's published there of Sugarloaf, the Sugarloaf Peak slide, we see huge snow blocks. Is that a hard slab avalanche? Is that what I'm looking at? Yeah, Leslie, great question. Yes. Yeah, those huge snow blocks there is exactly what you're seeing is a hard slab avalanche. I mean, those blocks of snow are like as hard as like a wood table. That's how strong that snow can get. And it's it's it always is amazing to me that just like a human, right? We're talking hundreds of thousands or million millions of pounds of snow and yet, you know, a human 1 to 250 uh pounds uh can trigger an avalanche like that. It's always pr pretty remarkable. Yeah, it sure is. And it's a great photo just because it kind of shows the skis in the background <laughs> compared to the size of these blocks. Enormous. Yeah. Yeah, we're dealing with some big avalanches. So I'd encourage everybody, you know, listening, if you're going to be at a ski area today and you're going to exit those uh, exit points, you're stepping right into the considerable danger. We could possibly reach high avalanche danger this afternoon, depending on just how much new snow comes in throughout the day. So, you know, I'd, I'd encourage everybody to please be safe and get the full forecast at utahavalanchecenter.org. Okay, thanks so much, Trent.
Thank you. Well, stay tuned. Coming up this morning on the local news hour, I'll be checking in with Summit County Community Development Director Pat Putt, taking a look at some of the development projects happening throughout Summit County. I'll also be talking and introducing you to Helen Nadel, the newly named Executive Director of Summit Community Gardens and Eats. And finally, Marlene Peacock, a member of the Park City Friends of the Library Board, has details on this weekend's Winter Fest used book sale. On the phone now with an update from the Summit County Planning Department, I have Community Development Director Pat Putt. Good morning, Pat. Good morning, Leslie. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, let's start with uh, any applications that may have come in since we last spoke. Yeah, so in keeping with the theme of the morning, we haven't had an avalanche of applications, but we've had a steady accumulation. And let me give you a, kind of a taste of what's come in over the last month since we talked. Maybe I'll start with the Snyderville Basin. Uh, the first is a request for a code amendment and what this code amendment would potentially do would be to allow farm stands like farm produce stands uh, as an allowed use in the rural residential zone. Right now those types of uh, business operations are permitted as temporary uses. We, we go through and review those on an early basis. This would be a request to actually establish that as a full-time allowed use. Whether that facility or that business would be open year-round, uh, you know, that'll be discussed as part of uh, bringing this proposal to the Planning Commission. Um, Is that the, are we talking about the farm stand there along by the, the uh, Lutheran Church? Well, that, that could include, we, I was just going to say, and that's a really good question, we really have two of those types of operations uh, here in the basin. Uh, that is the small operation that goes on during the summer and fall out in front of the Lutheran Church on 224. The other would be out on Ranch Road at the Copper Moose. So it's just a discussion on whether or not those types of uses should be permitted as an allowed or a conditional use or whether we just continue forward with doing them on a on a yearly temporary basis so uh, we've got that application in we also just received uh, an application for a rezone to neighborhood mixed use with an associated master plan development review for the outlets at Park City and everyone will probably remember it wasn't too long ago when we were talking about uh, the possibility of some changes out at the outlets to, to include a grocery store potentially a Harmon's again that's that idea I believe has been shelved what they're going to be coming back now is a proposal to rethink the commercial retail component of that and include some residential. I wish I had enough information on this to kind of give people an idea of what we're talking about in terms of unit counts. Haven't had an opportunity to do that, but I want to make sure everybody was aware that we have that application. And I think we'll be probably starting off with a work session here, not scheduled yet, but that's probably looking more like a, a March or early April. Uh, and then finally, although this isn't a, a major application, it's just important because it's being done in conjunction with some other applications, and that is we've received a request 
to amend the canyon's lower village plat to actually create the parcel for the proposed canyon's parking garage. And we believe we talked about that last time we chatted. Uh, we're still wrapping up our service provider reviews of that project, but I think that uh, daylighting in front of the Planning Commission is fairly eminent, probably within the next month or so. And then finally on the east side, uh, just outside of the community of Echo on your way to Hennifer, we received a proposal for what is being called uh, the Hope River Ranch, which would be a guest ranch facility, and it's located off of I-84, just outside, I guess that would be northwest of ECHO. Um, that would be going as part of a conditional use permit master plan development, and uh, we'll be circulating that out for comments with our colleagues, and that's probably a late spring uh, discussion in front of the Planning Commission, but that's really the wrap uh, of the new stuff that's come in. Okay, um, anything you're keeping your eyes on at the state legislature? I know that uh, Wasatch County was concerned with uh, Senate Bill 185 allowing private developers to hire their own inspectors, which they believe could represent a conflict of interest. Well, yeah, that, that, one's, that one's certainly on our radar. Uh, and I guess I can't be more truthful than to say all I know is what I read on the state legislature's website. That bill includes a lot of things in it. Uh, there are a bunch of, you know, building code proposed revisions, but the, you just touched on the piece that's probably the most um, of concern for us. And what SB 185 would do would allow for a developer or the, you know, the, the owner of a building permit to contract with a private building inspector to do their inspections. Now, as I read this, it would require that that inspector, or those inspection services, would have to be licensed through the state, have to meet a bunch of licensing standards. Uh, but if someone had a project, had a building permit, rather than have that project inspected by our Summit County building inspectors, they would bring in their own private services. And I would imagine, you know, at face value, I, I suppose I can understand this. At face value, I would imagine the concern is, you know, from those advancing the bill is it would eliminate delays and inspections and speed up construction time and, you know, potentially saving in costs. But I guess it brings the the bigger question of, you know, public safety and public health. You know, if, if there's anything in my mind that demonstrates what local government is really charged with doing, it's protecting the public safety and health. And we'd want to make really, really sure we would understand how that works. You know, the whole quality control and, you know, consistency of the inspections and the appropriate checks and balances. I, I think we've got some holes or questions in that legislation like you know it's not clear who pays for these is that the is that the permit holder is is that the county that has to pay that's i i don't believe that's clearly expressed and you know how those inspection reports would be integrated into our county system uh sounds like a small detail but it's a really complicated detail so we're going to continue to watch that one 
as it moves forward uh, because it's really, really important to us. The only other one that I would would mention is there's House Bill 168, and I guess, you know, condensed to basically what this is, it's a discussion whether or not um, modular housing uh, could be uh, permitted in the state because again all of our um, all of our building codes were wards of the state when it comes to what codes uh, we are reviewing what versions of the international you know building code or the international residential code and um, this is really component construction you know could could those sorts of modular uh, buildings or modular components of a building be permitted and be consistent with state code? There's pluses and minuses to that one too. And so we're gonna continue to watch that. But those are really the two big ones that are on our radar. Okay, running out of time, but I do wanna mention that uh, we did receive a text that uh, very slow going up uh, Marsac headed up to the uh, Silver Lake turnoff, um, taking a look at the cameras there, very difficult to see because the camera is not working, but there is a warning that traction devices are required there on Upper Marsac um, for both directions and all vehicles. If you do have some information, you can text that to me at 435-655-8255. We're talking with Summit County Community Development Director Pat Putt. Let's move on to the Klein Dolly discussion at last week's County Council meeting. Summit County purchased the 17 acres seven years ago and other than a University of Utah study that was never implemented for a transit-oriented development or Todd, you've got five different answers about what to do with the property from the County Council. So where do you go from here? We're going to keep the conversation going. Uh, for, for those of you listening who aren't quite familiar, the Klein Dolly property is a 29-acre piece of property. It lays directly adjacent to Rasmussen Road between the Jeremy Rich Elementary School and, and the Summit Center. And the county bought it back in 2016. And you're right, Leslie, initially we were exploring whether that may at the time could have served as a, as a capture remote parking lot transit facility. Uh, wisely, the decision was made to hold off on that. You know, uh, the understanding was we needed to fix that interchange. You know, that's been, that's been done and, you know, seems to be working, you know, quite well. In the intervening time, you know, we were able to work out an arrangement with UDOT to develop the Kilby Road park and ride. And uh, since that time, other things have taken our, our bandwidth away in terms of looking at what that might potentially be used for. And so last week was all about beginning a dialogue to think before we acted on that, you know, to kind of reduce some of the surprises, both with with the community, the neighborhood, the, the council and, and the planning commission. And so what we did was simply uh, present to council, you know, a charrette exercise that walked council through uh, everything from the existing conditions, the context of the neighborhood, where some of those developable areas are uh, what could fit into some of those developable areas. And, you know, what we heard back from the council was number one, an interest in moving forward. Number two, a spectrum. We heard everything from, you know, maybe some park and recreation facilities to maybe this might be an appropriate area to think about, 
you know, a mix of housing or some senior services or some childcare facilities, that sort of thing. Uh, certainly no decisions were made. Uh, staff is actually gonna be meeting again today to kind of download everything we heard. I think what we're gonna do is, is um, you know, take all that information, refine it, bring it back to council, talk about public engagement, you know, strategy so we can bring the people in. I know the planning commission, we had several planning commissioners um, either attending or visiting virtually on that. They would like an opportunity to kind of go that exercise. So the long and the short of it is we're gonna move forward. Wanna assure the public there isn't a project yet. This is again, I get the best way to describe this is we wanna have a discussion and we wanna have a dialogue and think first before we act. And I think that's always a good thing when it comes to these key publicly owned pieces of land. Okay, a final public hearing is happening on February 15th for the Dakota Pacific Project, a decision looming for February 20th. Um, has the council asked for anything from you being the planning department? Uh, primarily what we have been serving council with is sort of a technical resource, both in terms of, you know, our understanding of the existing development agreement and kind of uh, dissecting the current proposal and what the differences of that new proposal is with, with the existing proposals. So we're, we're, hopefully we're providing them with good technical expertise and analysis. Yeah, so um, is the planning department in part of any of the negotiations that may or may not be happening with regard to a traffic fix for the Kimball Junction area? Well, in terms of some of the traffic fixes for that, the planning department um, is aware of those discussions, but the heavy lifting of that is really being done by, by my colleagues, Brandon Brady and uh, Carl Miller. Uh, I know High Valley Transit's been involved in some of those discussions to a certain point, but um, I think a lot of a lot of work left to be done before a decision can be rendered. Like, like, I mean, you're, the decision is impending here. I mean, yeah, I know, I know. Think about that. This, you know, this is this um, litigation had been in place for probably almost three years, and um, I think council has agreed that you know when they suspended the litigation is is an open and fair reevaluation of whether or not there is a project to be considered here and um, if anybody's been following the discussions I can I would say they would have to agree with me that they're not there yet I think everybody's working really hard um, this is super complicated I think that's <laughs> That's kind of trite to say that, but in the next, what, you know, a week and a half, we're going to have to digest everything that's been talked about in terms of density and housing numbers and housing mix and workforce housing on top of the, you know, where we started off with was the transportation pieces of this. Somewhere between uh, painting a turn arrow on the existing pavement and the $120 million uh, option, you know, are probably are, are akin to the big dig in Boston, is, 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 a, is a potential viable solution. In order to do that, 
Everybody's going to need to understand what the numbers are going to be, what the density is, what the residential mix on is going to be on that project. And, and Leslie, we are just not there yet. But I can tell you this, council's working very hard, and I can tell you this as well, that they're doing it openly and out in the public. And everybody's welcome to join either in person or virtually for the work sessions. But we do have, and you mentioned it, a very big, important public meeting. It'll be a public hearing at Ecker Hill Middle School in the auditorium at uh, 6 p.m. I think it runs from 6 to 8.30. All right, and, and on some but not all uh, development projects, uh, the planning staff does make a recommendation. So has or will the planning staff make a recommendation on Dakota Pacific before the vote? I don't know. I just can't, I can't answer that question right now because again, right now this, this is currently sitting with council. Will council be turning to us to answer some of those questions? Absolutely, the questions that are out there. Will they be asking us to make a recommendation? If they do, we'll be prepared to do so. Okay, anything else, Pat, you wanted to mention real quick? Uh, the only other one, really, really important, we didn't have a chance to talk about Cedar Crest. We have a Cedar Crest public hearing scheduled. Originally, that was supposed to be heard on February 15th, right, the same night as as Dakota Pacific we just didn't think that that was appropriate to do it wasn't fair to the communities it wasn't fair to our friends over in the IT department so what we've done is we have moved that meeting to February 29th we we, we have the benefit of an extra Thursday in February so the public hearing for Cedar Crest not on the 15th it'll be moved to the 29th we got reader boards out in the North Summit area to make sure that everybody's aware of that. But uh, if people are listening and interested about that project, uh, please come out on the 29th at the ledges. Okay, Pat Putt, thank you. Thanks for your time. That's uh, again, Summit County Community Development Director, Pat Putt. Quick update, I can see on the UDOT traffic map that we do have a uh, basically not moving, it looks like there on 224 and it looks like on the uphill uh, upper Marsac there uh, near the Ontario mine. Not sure if we've got a stuck vehicle, but again, traction devices, four-wheel drive is required there on Upper Marsac. So for those of you thinking you might get to Silver Lake, sounds like it's taking some time for that to happen. You may just have to go around to Royal Street. And if you do have any details on what's happening there on Marsac Avenue as you approach in the Ontario Mine, send us a text at 435-655-8255. Well, Helen Nadel has been hired as the new Executive Director for Summit Community Gardens and Eats. She joins me now in studio. Good morning. Good morning, Leslie. Thank you so much for inviting me in to talk. Oh, sure. Well, and congratulations on the new appointment. You had just started, though, at People's Health Clinic as the Director of Volunteer Services and Food Security. What, this seemed just like a better fit for you? Yeah, thank you for asking that question. I will say I had no plans whatsoever to leave the People's Health Clinic. I think it's an amazing organization. Um, and I had, you know, gotten to know both Summit Community Gardens and EATS when they were separate organizations. Um, and then, uh, you know, became a plot renter. I started volunteering. I was asked to join the board of the merged organization I back in the fall of this year and, you know, had always been really impressed by the work. It resonates really deeply with the work that I had been doing for decades, um, most recently in Philadelphia. Um, so that combination of seed to plate, 
education, of growing food, of nutrition, of cooking, weaving that together and integrating that and adding in growing food, food access programming, that's the work that I had been doing. And so when the position at Summit Community Gardens and Eats unexpectedly became available, I thought long and hard. I talked with Mari Lining over at People's Health Clinic and, you know, ultimately made the decision to throw my hat in the ring and could not be more excited to join this organization. Yeah. So what are you really looking forward to? What am I really looking (laughs) forward to? Um, Well, a couple things. I have to say it's very exciting to see the snow right now, Um, but we are already deep in the midst of planning and programming. We have um, right now registration is open for our after school programs, um, which are starting in April. Um, Believe it or not, we we suspect that by the end of April, the uh, the snow will be melting there, Um, but also just signing up plot renters for plots in the garden. Um, We still have a few of those available um, and a wonderful summer camp program, which I'm sure we'll talk about more later. Yeah. So we have heard from your predecessor that there would be a name change. Are you Mm. guys deciding that maybe you don't need one or is that still in the works? I would say that is the top five. uh, It's in the top five questions that I've been asked um, as the new executive director of Summit Community Gardens and Eats. It is a mouthful. I will say that, um, you know, with a merger happened, folks may remember last March um, in 2023. Um, And just a few months later, um, there were some unexpected changes, right? And so we had an interim director come in, um, wonderful um, person who really held the organization, the staff, Um, did some amazing work. I think the impact of what happened last year, the numbers speak for themselves, and I'm I'm sure we'll get to that later. Um, But, you know, at that time, uh, I think everybody thought that we would get a name change sooner. And yet, with some of those unexpected changes, having an interim director for seven months, that process has been started. But really, the most important thing was, you know, merging the staffs, creating a new, you know, making sure that that mission made sense, knitting the two organizations and boards together. And that work, the work of the organization um, in schools, in community, in our garden space, that was really the priority. And I think, you know, I am looking forward to a new name change. That work, as I said, has started already. Um, I would expect, you know, that this year we will definitely have a new, uh, slightly less of a mouthful name for our community to embrace. All right, so the merger is complete then, and, and roles are defined, and, and a mission statement is... Dr- yeah, yeah, so the merger really happened, um, as I said, it, you know, we made that decision, and that actually, I mean, there was a lot of work happening before the merger took place in March. Um, but yeah, staff has come together, mission of the organization is to grow, gather, and learn in schools and community. Um, and uh, the boards are also um, merged completely. So the organization has been functioning as one organization for four months now. Um, well, um, it is a bit early to think about gardening, but for those who are interested, you say you do have some plots? Because usually there's a waiting list at this point. Yeah, so there, um, we do still have a few plots that are available. Um, so folks can go right on the website and join us. Um, plots are, it's a four by 16 plot. It includes drip irrigation. The cost is $125. Um, and we would love to have you grow in community. There's something really special about kind of the high altitude growing community and being able to connect with other people about tips and tricks. Um, I will also mention that whether you're a home gardener or whether you're gardening with us at Summit Community Gardens, now is the time to start dreaming about what you're going to like 
what you're going to grow and um, and ordering seeds. Um, we've got some great resources on our website. Our garden director, Melissa, is offering some classes um, coming up in later in February and in March as well. So really encourage you to um, hop on our website and you know learn about some of the great seed uh, catalogs that you can order from and, uh, and learn more about growing. Okay, in addition to that $125 fee, there is a requirement for either paying for work that needs to be done in the garden or actually doing it yourself. Thank you for bringing that up, but I'm going to just mention, Leslie, I know you are a, a garden plot renter mm -hmm. yourself and, um, you know, have a beautiful garden. Um, we do ask for some volunteer hours. There, we had over 2,700 volunteer hours provided. Some of that is in the garden, but there are lots of other opportunities to volunteer at Summit Community Gardens in Eats, from Fridays, working with our education team on the Curious Cooks program, to um, volunteering through the Food Pharmacy program. We have drivers delivering food to 30 food insecure residents uh, throughout our community. Um, so lots of different opportunities to volunteer. We do though, in order to keep that garden as gorgeous as it is, we definitely need some help from our plot renters to maintain that space. All right. I um, wanted to ask you also that the uh, Basin Rec has kind of dictated the water usage there mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. apparently new lines were going to be built so that Summit Community Gardens had its had control of the water has that happened yes that did happen sort of towards the i guess the middle of last season so i don't remember if it was late july or august but somewhere in that um in that time frame we were able to establish a, um, a separate contract and we um I'm shout out to melissa soltes the garden director for really shepherding that process and making sure that there's um, a reliable source of water for our gardeners yeah um you and i were having a discussion about the garden um recently and you know i've heard from people oh yeah the the tomatoes that i grew were about 45 dollars a piece um <laughs> <laughs> I've had a plot, you've had a plot. I mean, what have you been more, most successful with? Yeah, well, I will say my tomatoes actually were fantastic. Um, and I, I was, last season was my first growing season here at high altitude. I wasn't sure about the tomatoes, but what I found is that really ordering your seeds wisely and really looking at that, um, the germination time. So we're, we have about a 75 day growing season here without season extenders, um, like row covers to cover, you know, make, keep plants a little warmer for a little longer. Um, so really looking at things that have a, you know, a shorter growing rate. I loved the cherry tomatoes did great, sugar snap peas, lots of greens, um, my radishes were gorgeous. So there's lots of opportunities to grow. And again, we really wanna support you um, in growing at Summit Community Gardens or as a home gardener and have, you know, really committed resources to, to help you you know, fall in love with growing here or keep being successful as a gardener. Okay, so again, you did mention some spring garden classes are now live on the website. They're like 35 bucks. You've got uh, high altitude 101 garden planning and seed starting. You also have coming up uh, summer camp registration. Yes, I'm so glad you mentioned that because this, to me, this is one of the things that I've just heard across the community. People love the education programs during the school year. We see about 2,000 school children from Holy Cross Ministries to PC Tots. We're really excited about that pre-K programming um, all the way up through um, middle school. So there's that, that seed to plate education is something that we, um, we really believe sparks a lot of joy and fun and learning for young people about cooking and gardening, which we know is linked to healthy eating. Um, and in our 
you know, I, I think about this seasonally, uh, Leslie. So in the it, our after-school programs, as I mentioned, are live. Young people who are involved in those programs are really sowing the seeds that children in our camp programs will then get to reap, right? So the children in our, we have eight weeks of summer camp. Um, you can go on the website now, check those out, see what we're offering. Registration for the public is live as of March 1st, and we're really looking forward to welcoming so many kids to our wonderful camp programs, um, led by the same educators as our school year program, so if kids are familiar with them, um, Ms. Brighty and uh, Ms. Erica, um, and that is, as I said, on March 1st, live. Right now, we do have early access for members, so if folks would like to become a member of Summit Community Gardens and Eats, it's a great way to first support the work of the garden, but also to get early access to some of those very popular programs that we do run throughout the season. Um, so you can, as I said, hop on the website. One other thing I'd like to mention though, Leslie, is that we do place a really strong value on access. Um, and we do have some pretty significant scholarships available for young people. So that information about that is available in English and Spanish on the website. Um, and you can email our as I said, our education director is Erica Ramirez Snyder, and you can email her about that. Last year, we had about 22 scholarships uh, given out to students. Great, and you did mention that after school in the garden program happening April and May, which could easily be snowing or raining that time of year. So where do the kids go if that's the case? Oh my goodness. Well, if that's the case, first of all, we do have a small greenhouse. We do have, there's the basin rack structure, and we have some great partnerships with some of the um, surrounding um, uh, institutions um, to, um, you know, provide some shelter for students um, and for campers when when needed. I will say though that we are starting our after school program a little bit later. You know, after last winter, we we kind of learned a little bit about um, you know what we how we really wanted to structure that program. So by offering it starting in uh, you know in later in April, we are hopeful that we're going to have a really rich, robust, fun program for that like the early spring when the magic is just getting started. Uh, let's see. Wanted also just to mention you um, you were in charge of the food pharmacy program mm -hmm. as your last job. So does that continue? I mean, are are the gardens going to take the, the head on this, or are yeah. you leaving it up to People's Health Clinic? No, thank you so much for asking that. We are, um, you know, this was a collaboration that was started with the Christian Center, with uh, People's Health Clinic, and with Summit Community Gardens and Eats. And each organization really plays an important role. Um, the Food pharmacy is absolutely continuing. During the season, food is grown by Summit Community Gardens and Eats for distribution to families who are experiencing food insecurity and who also have chronic diseases. So those folks are chosen by the People's Health Clinic. The People's Health Clinic will continue to um, reach out and communicate with, with those folks about the deliveries of food. But the food that's grown at the Summit Community Gardens and Eats is really, it is gorgeous. Um, we raised about 1,300 pounds of food last year. Um, there's going to be more this year, we suspect, because of some additional growing spaces that we're, we're utilizing. But that is a real commitment to to grow that much food. Um, we were also able to bring in food from other local growers through a wonderful grant that the Christian Center had. Um, so in the season, that's that's um, how the, the collaboration works. It's very much ongoing. Um, we're still, you know, People's Health Clinic is still working with patients and the uh, Summit Community Gardens and Eats, in addition to growing, is working with the volunteers who help 
support that program. Okay, um, we'll have you back when you announce the dinners in the garden. Those are going to happen again this summer. Yes, we will have more information about that in April, but we are looking forward to a beautiful season of gathering in our gorgeous space nestled beneath the mountains for fabulous food and drink and music. Okay, Helen, thanks so much. Thank you, Leslie. Again, congratulations. That's Helen Adel, the new executive director of Summit Community Gardens and Eats. The Friends of the Park City Library's youth book sale will be held during Winterfest this weekend in the studio with details. I have a member of the Friends Board, Marlene Peacock. Good morning. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so the sale, two days only. When, where, what are the hours? Yep, it's two days only. We are a partnering, part, partnering with the library for Winterfest. And the days are this coming Friday, the 9th, and this coming Saturday, the 10th. The hours on Friday are 9 to 4, and on Saturday, 8 to 4. In addition, on Saturday, we're having our bag happy hour, which is 2 to 4, and you fill a provided tote bag for $15. You can get a lot of books in our tote bag. Yeah, and books, I mean, other just walking in on Friday morning, still pretty cheap. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the books are very cheap. Um, all, all of the children's books, and we have a lot of children's books, are $1. Paperbacks are $1. Hardcovers are 2 And 100% of the book sale proceeds go directly to fund the PC library and the programs that we support. All right. Um where will the sale take place? It's been in different areas, yes, it, auditorium, it community room. Yeah, it has moved around, but it will be on the first floor. So you'll walk in and you'll immediately see books. We're going to have books in Lucky Ones. We'll have books in uh, one of the community rooms, but everything will be on the first floor for convenience. Okay. Now, will you be offering members of the Friends of Library a preview uh, couple, maybe the first few hours of Friday morning? or Not this book sale. We do at our primary book sale, which is over the Labor Day weekend. But this book sale will open 9 a.m. on Friday, and everyone is welcome to come in at that point. Yeah, and that's interesting, though, because typically, I mean, we have, uh, you, the friends, have had uh, the sale on Miners Day. Last year, you added the 4th of July, and then didn't have the books Correct. to have a Miners Day sale. So do we yeah. need to cut one of these out? We are, yes. So we're doing the Winterfest book sale, and then we'll do the Labor Day book sale. It was interesting, somewhat dilemma for us last year. The... We had planned on having 4th of July and Labor Day, but we got such wonderful support <laughs> over the 4th of July Labor Day that we just didn't have enough books for Labor Day uh, to sustain that sale. So we decided we wouldn't do it last year, but we will this year for sure. Okay. Um, any idea how many books you'll have for sale this weekend? You know, I don't. I was not part of putting them out this time. Um, but we have, I will tell you, we have a large selection. We have New York Times bestsellers, mysteries, cookbooks, just excellent opportunity to stock up on great reads for this snowy weather we're having. Yeah. And so many people, I think, reading digitally. I mean, are mm -hmm. you eventually going to not have enough books to sell? or We hope not. Um, you know, I consider myself a dinosaur. I have to have a book in my hand or a newspaper in my hand. And we're hoping that there are a lot of other people out there. And, you know, it is proven that there are. Uh, these book sales have been very successful for us. 
we're certainly hoping that this one will be the same. And this is, I believe, the second year we have partnered with the Library for Winterfest. So it's a little bit of a new program for us, but it was successful last time. We're hoping we get people out this year. And the library is doing wonderful things with this Winterfest. So we're a piece of it. They have, they're partnering with uh, the PC Mark, the Ice Arena, of course, Lucky Ones. So a lot is going to be going on. Lots of fun things for the entire family. Okay. Um, well, one day when I'm ready to let my books go, we could have just a sale. With <laughs> we, would, we could have a private sale for it's, you. It's my cheap addiction is what I'm saying. Um, so what do you do with any books left over? You just Will you just save them? or do We you, will. Because you do sometimes have booksellers that come in and buy yep, everything else. And it's possible that they'll come Friday and Saturday, but anything that's left over, we will put back, put back in our storage and continue collecting for Labor Day. Now, as you mentioned, the money raised goes directly to support Park City Library for kind of unbudgeted needs. So tell us about some of the things that, that Friends Money has, has purchased. Yeah, and th there there's a lot. Um, what we did in some of the things we did in 2023, we did a makeover of the teen area. We did the local speaker series and the extended uh, popular ebook and graphic novel purchases. Graphic novels really has taken off and uh, that was a new thing for us last year. But our ongoing funding also includes the summer patio music, which we partner with Mountain Town Music, ongoing professional development for the library staff, uh, the um, summer um, field opportunities where we have, you know, balls and all kinds of things. And we do sleds and things in the winter. And so we support that. So a lot of different things for, um, we're doing a mindful wellness series. So lots of different things. Yeah. Um, and uh, anything on the wish list then from the library for this year or? Well, there's lots of things <laughs> that the library would like. Um, but as far as anything right now on the horizon, nothing that's particularly outstanding. That's something the board just decides as the requests come in. What happens is uh, our library liaison comes in each month at our board meeting and they present a wish list if they have one and then uh, we discuss it and uh, vote on it. Okay. Um, people should also know that you have the Friends Corner at the library so there's always used books both children Absolutely. on yes. sale. And yep. tell us about that. People can just gonna go scan and, and that gets changed out what? Yeah, we, we change it out frequently. It just comes from our storage and people can go in and take a look and they purchase the books right from the library wall and that is going on all year. All right, well, again, now that you've made it so easy with Venmo. <laughs> yes, we have. <laughs> It's made, yeah, it's really easy and it's yep. yeah, it's always something to, to check out. Yep, as you but we take out. cash, checks, Venmo. So everybody come on in and buy some books. All right. Um and then you used to hold the uh, annual Friends Author Luncheon. You've what kind of just stepped away from that, huh? We have, um mainly because of just rising costs. We felt as a board that we just could not keep rising, uh, raising the ticket prices. It just didn't seem feasible that we were asking the public to pay an elevated price. And of course, the venues around town have all raised their prices. 
So we as a board just didn't feel that that was the responsible thing to do. So we're talking about doing other things, a cocktail party possibly with an author at the library, just different things that are in the works, but we haven't made any decisions for this year. Okay, because that was really some of the, the benefits of being a member, right? You could get in the book sale early, you know, you could get tickets first for the, the author luncheon. So you're hoping to expand the membership We hope benefits. so. We hope so. But, you know, being um, a, a board that's responsible for, um, you know, funding library programs, and we just didn't think that elevating the price for the luncheon, the way it was going, was a responsible thing to do. But we will have something, for oh, sure. Okay. Anything else, Marlene, you want to mention? Nope, that's it. Okay. Just come out. Okay. Again, that's this Friday from 9 to 4 and Saturday 8 to 4 at Park City Library.